Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. It has been a while, Chris, since we convened in this format. Uh, it is um, it's good to be back. Yeah, early early Tuesday morning, uh, another uh, after dark Spartan Speak. I'm doing well. Um, the funny thing is, like all those years that. Uh, people heard me complaining about night football games. Uh, this is this is what this is my prime time. It's always been my prime time. I mean, my kids are grown now. I don't. I can be up nights again. It's it's wonderful. It's it's more of my natural rhythm. Which grown as an eight and four or whatever, ten, all, nine and a half and five. Oh, wow. So wow, holy smokes! Yeah, sleeping through the night. Uh, waking stuff. up in the morning for school, but hey, you know. Well, I wish people could see the uh, the Zoom that we see each other on, because you are like a f- floating Dr. Evil head, and uh, I took a screenshot of it. Maybe I'll tweet it out a little later. I actually like only get to see your chin, so. Wh- which one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> from this angle, I should move my feet a little bit. <laughs> for someone who loves, <laughs> for someone who loves the high angle shot, that zoom yeah, camera is not, not not flattering. It's not doing me much much uh, many favors. Um, well, there's a lot to get into. Uh, we're going to talk mostly hoops uh, here. We may talk a little bit, uh, sort of reaction to uh, you know Michigan's national championship and what that means for the Spartans and some other things. But uh, so we'll get into that a little bit. Maybe tease some hockey. Um, next week, I think maybe we'll have Nate Bot on to talk some hockey. I am going to I, – I think as of now, I am skipping the Maryland basketball trip this weekend to go to the, both Michigan-Michigan State hockey games to write off of those. It's a hot story. I, I, I you know, hockey We is, talked yeah. about this this week, and, I mean, it's – I mean, I, I, having followed that team really all the way back when I was covering when Ron Mason was the coach and kind of watching that program – at its height and at its bottom, it's it's in, it's very not just interesting but welcoming to see it coming back and seeing the fan interest coming back and and seeing the interest as a whole coming back. I, I actually went to the Frozen Four uh, because we didn't have anybody on staff at the Free Press who had covered college hockey before. When Michigan was there uh, a couple years ago, I went to Boston and covered, and it was good to get back in that. But Michigan State was always going to be a conversation piece in the college hockey world, as small as that is, um, you know, going to Boston for that Frozen Four, there were a lot of Michigan State people there, and they were itching and and really wanting to get to the point where the, the program was relevant again, and Adam Nightingale's really pushed it beyond just relevance right now. I mean, the top four in the pairwise could be a potential number one seed once the NCAA tournament comes out. A lot of hockey left, but it's a remarkable turnaround from from the low points that I covered in the early 2010s. Yeah, you definitely covered the wrong era of MSU hockey. But I also covered the Mason era, too. That's so. true. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, no, this is very different. And, it, and it's fun at the LSJ. It's just different than we've, we've ever had to deal with since I have been there because I, I have been there for most of the just dark times. And so we haven't had to really think about hockey as up again, you know, choices for coverage, where we're going to be, when, uh, the postseason, how we're going to handle that. There's lots of things, discussions we're having um, that are that are fun. It's great to have it. Women's basketball, people are excited about. Um, I've I've watched enough of Robin Fralick's team to feel like I have a good sense of them. An exciting brand of basketball. I think that's going to be an NCAA tournament team. Um, they have you know the the, the metrics like them a lot 
and uh, they've won enough. And I, I think they'll be something like an eight seed or nine seed. Um, let's talk some men's hoops. Michigan State yeah. uh, beats Nebraska. Sorry, not Nebraska. Who do they play? Rutgers. Other team in red. Rutgers. Yes. Yeah, I'll tell Phil to fix that in post. No, I won't. Right. <laughs> but uh, the uh, and it, it's a game where you know coming into it there was a little bit of consternation because they'd have two straight losses. I you know I think some fans out there probably disagree with me to the level in which. They had played because I really viewed the Illinois loss differently than the Northwestern loss, and I thought they had played pretty well in six of seven games, even though one was a loss. You lose by three on the road at at a top ten team, and I know Illinois just turned around and and blew a game at home to Maryland, but that's that's not really a a problem loss. What made it feel like a problem was all the other struggles early, and and Michigan State's trying to make up for that. And at some point, you got to win those games to do so. But MSU is a team that the numbers love anyway as well. Like I, I, I see these bracketologies that have Michigan State on the outside of the NCAA tournament. If you look at like Bartorovic projections, if you look at where the net has them and everything, they're, they're going to be like a six seed or something like that if they play to their capabilities, maybe even better than that. They're, they're, unless they really don't take care of business against teams that are less than them, they're not going to be a bubble team. They're just better than that. Yeah, that. but that's the if, right? I mean, we've seen this team – early on seemingly played down well james madison is better than people expected um nebraska has been better than people expected uh northwestern has some big wins including that somehow only a 14 point win that felt much bigger against michigan and went over purdue and went over purdue um so, I mean, there's a lot of things there, but you got to take care of the business here, especially this stretch right now. I mean, they, you know, that, that loss at Illinois, um, they played better and they were in the game and they were up six in the second half. And, you know, it's funny because Tom Izzo talked about that after the Rutgers game. Uh, you know, they go up six at Illinois on the road in a hostile environment and then they tighten up and then they, lost that game and let it slip away, let that lead slip away and couldn't get it back, even though they they think they lost by three and had a couple shots there at the end to either send it to overtime or win it. But in that Rutgers game, there was a stretch when they went on that, I think it was at that point, an 11-0 run, and they, they seized the momentum. Rutgers calls timeout. And I thought it was fascinating that Izzo, and it's not like Izzo and sometimes, he brought up that six-point lead at Illinois in the huddle, he said, at, at, during the record game, during that timeout, right out of the timeout, uh, the, the uh, I think it was the Jamichael Davis kid for Rutgers, takes the, gets the inbounds, it takes it back, goes the length of the court, and Carson Cooper takes a charge. Run continues on to a 19-0 run, and Michigan State runs away with it. Uh, that, but that was one of those plays that I think, at least from Izzo's standpoint and maybe from the player's standpoint, I think there were a couple points in this game uh, on Sunday where they're going to look at it and say, this is the effort that we need to give and beyond. And that's something that I think was lacking in the Northwestern game. Sure. The problem, the problem I have with the analysis of Michigan State is – right now is the Northwestern game is undoubtedly awful. But I think that is the one-off. Like the five games before that and the two games since it have been good effort performances. They didn't shoot well against Illinois. They did They did a few things that weren't uh, intelligent on the court at times or whatever. But, uh, but ultimately they played hard. It was not yeah. for lack of grit and effort and and um, and there were some things that I – like A.J. Hogard has not had a dip – really in play going back to the, the Nebraska game even before you know the, the run really started so I I think the fact that you, you don't have to worry about that as much anymore because he's been consistent and he's the guy who really uh, makes things go um, there are things that are flawed about this team and I think one of the things that is is been a positive sign is there is a resolve to them there is a uh, a resiliency and 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 they don't you know, both Indiana State and Rutgers were games at home where they trailed in the second half and had to respond and did and and responded well to win kind of going away. And I think that is 
you know that that is a sign of, of of a team that that can handle some situations where I think early in the year they might have, and in fact we saw it against James Madison, they might have lost that game. I think there were times a year ago, and so that's something you know that I think you can trust. The thing that you haven't seen from them yet, Chris, and this is important if they're going to be the seed that I think people want them to be, and and maybe somehow stay in Big Ten contention is you have to win road games. They haven't won a single true yeah. road game yet, and I think that's also a bit of a concern. And, and Maryland uh, is is a test of that to some degree. Maryland's not an awful team. I don't think they're an NCAA tournament team, but they're capable. They're not a good shooting team. And then you get a game that, that will really be telling. It's Nebraska – or sorry, I, what, Wisconsin. What they're with Nebraska. All, they're Wisconsin also the red, too. You've yeah, got everybody – I mean, only one. There's, there's a lot of red teams. They also got a road game at the end of the regular season against Indiana. Also red. That's a red team. That I'll call them Nebraska when, when, yes. when we get there. That's a team I like watching even less. Um, <laughs> the uh, that's a horribly constructed roster. There are some rosters in the Big Ten that are really poorly constructed. Uh, Maryland, uh, uh, in, in Indiana, uh, Penn State, uh, Rutgers can't shoot. There's some teams that can't shoot, and those are teams that are probably not going to beat MSU. Because, uh, you know, that, that's just – that you look at the way the Penn State blowout happened. Like Penn State could play Michigan State 300 times and 299 times out of that, Michigan State's going to beat them. Um, but so th- there are positive things. There, there are, uh, you know, there are some things that are, are, are still can very much works in progress, and that is the center position for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I – well, it's funny because one of those uh, those plays that I was talking about, where you might look back and say that's a moment where you you saw something from this team, was Tyson Walker gets a steal and dives on the floor for a loose ball, and Jackson Kohler. If you want any idea if Jackson Kohler's foot is getting healthy and he's getting closer, you watch him go and and dash down the court after a loose ball as it's rolling in front of the sideline and dive for it and try and knock it off uh, a Rutgers defender's leg uh, to retain possession after that poke away by by Walker because that was an effort play. And this is what Tom Izzo talked about a lot was that's the kind of effort that needs to be a regular thing for this team. To, to get back in it. And I mean, and, and I'm, and it's, you know, yeah, it was, it was Kohler. And I think that's a big thing from a health standpoint from where he was, but you got to see more of that from more guys. I think a, there, there are guys that have done that. I think Sissoko's done that at times, but it's got to be more consistent. And that's the consistency piece that, that he's been, he was, even after that game, he talked about them need to get more consistent. You mentioned about uh, Hogard's stretch. Malik Hall outside of that Northwestern game where he put up, zeros uh in 25 minutes or whatever he's been really good and and it, it's a it's a shame that that northwestern game was so bad because it really um kind of i don't negate it's not the right word but it kind of masks to people um just how good he's been in four of those five games in this stretch well but part of that is if you're a fifth year senior you can't have that game and, and, no, and he talked about putting it be- putting it behind him I am about ninety-five percent positive that Tom Izzo had that. I was, I'll push it up to ninety-nine point nine percent that Tom Izzo had that conversation immediately after the game with Malik Hall. Yeah, and he sets a tone, and, and, and there's no question he's important. He gives him a post presence. He gives him a physical presence. Um, the center position is one that, and, and I know not everybody agrees with me on this, and, and there are people that, that I respect on on social media who think that. Um, you know, Sissoko is is probably better than I I do, and 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 like when I watch Sissoko, I'm like that guy should watch tape of, of, of Ben Wallace and 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 try to to be that because, but he's not. And you're four years in, and you know one of one of the I think the problems they have with, with him is, you know, coaches and Izzo's will talk about possessions and how important valuing possessions and the late possessions and early and all this stuff. If, if possessions matter, and they do, they matter a ton, then you can't afford to throw Sissoko the ball in the post, like ever, because that's about an 18% play. You know, you, it's a turnover. You can't, it, when you dish it to him and he drops it out of bounds, you know, those are the sort of things. Unless you put it up on the rim. W- right. And and and, and I know that, that Cooper is certainly, uh, 
Carson Cooper's had some some issues hanging on the ball, but hands uh, for me, like one of the things I liked early on about him a year ago is he was starting to uh, emerge as, as, as a plus player at times. Was he had good hands? I don't think having good hands is his problem. He's he's in some weird uh, situation right now where it it seems to be in his head or something. But man, I'd be I'd be working with Cooper and and Sissoko all day, giving him tennis balls, throw him off the wall, work on catching him with your hands just to get that fingertip feel that you need. If you have a smaller ball and you can make those catches on that, you should be able to make two handed catches on a basketball. Yeah, but yeah, right. But one of them actually has good hands, and the other doesn't. Is what I'm saying. And and so there's and there's no correcting bad hands. You can improve them, but you can't correct them. I, so what I'm curious to see is 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 like Carson Cooper being in the game as you brought up that charge he took. Change he helped change that game. And it's not the problem with the the center position for Michigan State is Carson Cooper helped change that game. The next game. He may be inferior to what Sissoko's giving them, <laughs> and yeah. you know, and Sissoko's really good on ball screen defense. He's a sometimes good rebounder, um, and so and and then you start to work Jackson Kohler in, and he gives you something else different. I, I'm just and, and and I think that there are things offensively that he'll be terrific giving them. I I just think when they get Kohler back to a place where I think the next two weeks you're still working him in, but once you get past the working him in stage, you have to reevaluate. Um, sort of what each guy's giving you, the odds that possessions are going to go well, the odds that you're going to get the rebound. Really analyze, and, and some of it will be matchup dependent. I mean, but I think you got to take another look at that. And I do think for this team to get where it hopes to be, Sissoko probably can't be more than a 15, 17 minute a game guy. And he's got to give maximum effort for those minutes and I, I don't doubt it and, and, and you see it occasionally but when yeah. he's relied on for more of that you know you see it in the Illinois game he, when he uh, you know doesn't under, I, I don't, I don't want to just beat on Sissoko here because I like Mati Sissoko but he's a fourth year guy who I think is is on both ends of the court Ism was always going to be a project based on when he picked up basketball and when his formal training in basketball began. Yeah, but I the mean, project has to come to fruition. He's a fourth-year guy. Oh, I completely yeah. agree with you, and I think that you know there are there are still late bloomers in this sport. Um, and and I, I think I think Mati Sissoko's best basketball is ahead of him. Don't know when and where it'll be. Um, you know, it right. could be this year. It could be next year if he's at Michigan State. Maybe he plays somewhere else. Could be by the time he gets to be a pro, kind of like Kevin Willis. You know, I mean, Kevin Willis's years at Michigan State weren't exactly uh, you know anything to write home about. He's also seven feet. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, Sissoko in this game with, with game getting sh- smaller in in a lot of ways is kind of a seven footer. Maybe not the traditional seven footers as, as you see, but he is a big man who's who's got the wingspan and got the capability to do things in the paint with that wingspan that he has yet to really show consistently. I mean, he played eighteen minutes against Rutgers and got seven boards and yeah. still was one of five and fumbled a pass here or there. I mean, so there are things that you got to watch. I, I I'm curious to see where um, where Kohler fits in. Um, because I do think, I mean, the minute distribution, it was 18 for Sissoko, 12 for Cooper and eight for Kohler. Um, you know, that might be the numbers that we see that it might flip somewhere along the way. I mean, for Kohler, it's going to be about, can you contribute on the defense? And the same with Xavier Booker and Booker got in early, got a couple minutes early and, you know, went to the bench, uh, in that game after not playing at Illinois. And, you know, there was one point I thought he he had a pretty strong rebound in the paint. I mean, but he's still a project too. He, you know, it's hard to say a five-star kid is as a project, but that's what he is, and that's what he Very has been. That, yeah. And I think this staff knew that. Um, so I don't know. Um, you know that it's going to be interesting with those four guys to see the minute distribution because I do think that you know Hall gives you some some options to go small in the middle at times and. You know, maybe that's a way to to work Booker in to to get his three point shot for a couple minutes a game. I don't know. It's it's fascinating to see how Izzo is going to kind of, you know, work in the laboratory and and build the chemistry in these lineups with guys who have been, especially with Kohler, um, having been out since October. I mean, as much as they 
played together all summer and in camp, I mean, you still got to reintegrate the guy. Yeah, and, and so that that's the problem. Like at Illinois, Kohler played, you know, only a minute, but it was sort of a disastrous minute in yeah. the game they lost by three. Like you don't play Kohler, you probably win the game. I would argue though, if you play Sissoko ten fewer minutes, a guy who was jumping at three point shots, you know, when he was supposed to be staying down on yeah. the scouting report, who had a, a couple situations where Illinois had gone small and he was guarding, you know, kind of a you know where him being in there didn't didn't help them and was probably unnecessary. I, I think they win that game. I, I think they win that. If you take, you know, five more minutes of Cohen Carr and five fewer minutes of Mati Soko, I think they win that game. And I think so those are the things that I, I you know, I want to see them continue to analyze. And, and I do like, you know, is because Cohen Carr makes such an athletic impact. Yeah. And in a way, he is he's not the same player as Aaron, Aaron Henry. But what Aaron Henry did for the 2000 um, nine or eighteen nineteen team when he was a freshman was he was the best athlete in a, in, a, in a sense he elevated certainly on the wing he elevated who they were athletically and that changed the whole lineup when he was in the game and I think Cohen Carr has a little bit of that effect I do like I don't mind that when he gets beaten on a back door they take him out and and he doesn't because those are the accountability things yeah that you, you have to have with freshmen because that's how they don't make that mistake in February, March. And it may drive you nuts. It's frustrating at the time, sometimes just from somebody watching the game. But you, when you don't have that, what you have is what happened with Jet Howard in Michigan, where the team falls apart, where there is no accountability, where you can't play defense, you know, and, and that, that situation, you know, you, you got to hold people accountable young in their careers so they don't make those mistakes and you can play them more and more. And you saw Cohen Carr play a really strong second half against Rutgers. And uh, I, you know, I think that was a a, a step uh, in the right direction. Yeah, five points, four four rebounds, and a block in ten minutes. Five points, four rebounds, and a block in ten minutes. And yeah. I mean, though he his two buckets, you know, he had that three. It, it wasn't the, the dunk is all well and good, but his finish through contact after he missed his own shot in the paint, rebounded, attacked the offensive glass, and got fouled. That should be a, a learning point for him as well, that it doesn't have to all be above the rim. Make the Use the strength that you've got, which as a freshman he's got it, um, and not just solely be reliant on, on throwing everything down. That I think hopefully for him, and I think from Tom Izzo's standpoint, they hope is a, a learning moment. The other thing that happened in the Rutgers game was uh, and I can't believe we're we're 22 minutes into this. Uh, could have led with this, but we've certainly both written about it. A lot of people have. Yeah. Stephen Izzo, Stephen Izzo gets his first bucket un- in the unlikeliest of ways. Um, <laughs> it was that's I mean that's an understatement because that play was a Division One play. There's not much more you can say about it. Well, and and to watch as he's doing his crossover move, look at the reaction of Jaden Aiken yeah. is my favorite. Like he does a little shoulder shimmy just as he's doing the move. It's 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 sort of this appreciation of an actual basketball play. Look, it was a yes, it was a lucky shot, but it was a heck of a basketball play and it went in and uh, I don't think either of us were expecting it. Certainly not in that game. I listen. I I watched that shot that he took against Penn State from the logo and I thought it was in too. And it's funny because I asked him about it after the game and he said he's got angles from people in the zone that they sent him. And he's like, I watched all those, and I thought it was in. He's like, he's like, it felt good out of my hands, and then, you know, it, it comes up short. I mean, no, I don't think anybody. I, I think people thought that this would happen eventually. You know, maybe maybe it's a free throw, maybe it's uh, a, a layup where the teams kind of conceded. This is a contested shot against a six four dude on a crossover between the legs drive. Didn't have that on any bingo cards. Yeah, he it was said a heck a of a move and a heck of a moment. The shot that he missed, that he airballed against Penn State, uh, he had told his dad. <laughs> I love that story he told you guys. It was like, uh, you know, and I, I'm not going to swear here because this is a Gannett podcast, but that that, I'll, I'll use the word stuff instead, his dad was giving him some choice words for it being a terrible shot, and he just said, man, that stuff felt good, you know, like he thought it was good. And um, man, you know, it, we we have a Taylor Swift reporter, and we can't say the word that he said. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, the, uh, thanks, thanks, corporate G. Yeah, uh, uh, we'll fix that in post. Uh, for <laughs> anyway, 
it was it was a great moment. It was it was fun to see the reaction of the crowd. I, it was a real shared experience. I think for a lot of people, I think a lot of people have been rooting for this moment for a long time, and to see how happy other people were for him and for each other. I mean, just to hearing some of the reactions from fans who were home who woke spouses up because they were and children up because they were yelling so loud. They're excited. It was it was something that I think everybody really enjoyed. Now, for people who are also Lions fans, the Lions game sort of superseded everything <laughs> a couple hours, a few hours later. But it was it was a moment that um, I, I think people have sort of um, it, it showed how much people care about Stephen Izzo. Uh, I think people he has earned that care and respect. His teammates care and respect about him. They 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 do respect him, and, and it goes back to. The original uh, summer that he was, you know, working out with the team and and thinking about yeah. walking on, and nobody thought he'd last a week or two, and and went to summer His conditioning dad and he made it. Yeah, and 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 he did, and and he is he is respected among his teammates, and and so that was that was cool to see. It was cool to see the embrace with him and and Tom Izzo, and I I never liked the people who jumped on the fact that Tom Izzo put his son on the team as a walk on. Because and he explained this, and I, I I've kind of talked with him over the years. That he, I mean, he's missed out on a lot of his kid's life. I mean, that's what the profession does. The profession is a grind, and you're missing birthdays, you're missing high school basketball games, you're missing a lot of different things. And this was a chance for him to share something with his son, whether it be as a walk-on player, as he's done now for five years, or as a team manager, or any of those things, right? And, you know, there are times, and, and you know, I, I'll violate the code a little bit of what we see in practice. There are times where you see Steven Izzo interacting with his teammates, and it's genuine. And there are times when you see Tom Izzo and Steven interacting in the course of his job. It's, 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 it's really nice to see um, because that's something that it's different for Steven Izzo to watch that as a child growing up and watch it from the sidelines. It's a whole other thing when he's in a practice jersey standing there and competing and getting the same treatment from his dad as guys like Draymond Green and Denzel Valentine and Cassius Winston and all those guys that he's watched and been around. I'll say this too. This there have and Tom Izzo is a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve. We all know that. This is probably there's two moments that I can remember that I that I've seen him as emotional um, as, as he's ever been one was on Sunday at, about Steven and one was standing on the court in, in Indianapolis at the RCA Dome watching one shining moment with Mateen Cleaves those are the two moments where he was the most emotional yeah, I, I don't know if I because I, I, he gets emotional. He's an emotional guy, but you, 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 it's, this is certainly up there. And, and and the other thing, you bring up those names. This is an iconic shot now. I mean, it's not you know, it's not quite Kenny Goins taking down Zion Williamson and Duke, but it's uh, you know, it, it's up there. It's a shot that a lot of people remember. It's not because it won a game, but it was meaningful. And I know you know there you get to the nepotism point and. And there are some people who that really bothers, and that that's fair. That everybody's entitled to that opinion. I I, I have sort of reconciled this in, uh, in my outrage meter. This is not going to be something I'm going to be outraged about because I do. This is a guy who's given a lot of time and given a lot uh, from to the to the university and to Michigan State basketball at the expense of his family, and he saw this as a way to get something back a little bit and. I, I think that's fair to do. The, the The person who would have made the team the year he was put on it, my understanding, went to be, on to be a walk-on at Michigan. It wasn't like they didn't have any opportunities. And uh, these are not open tryout positions. They prefer, well, like Nick Sanders wouldn't be on the team either if it was about basketball. Uh, Nick Sanders is, was not yeah. a, like a, a big-time high school player. The, the only real walk-on they have is, is Davis Smith, who's Steve Smith's son too. But he's actually could play like he'd be a, a decent D2 player. Um but the other guy, I mean, Stephen uh, Stephen Izzo wasn't a starter at Lansing Catholic, and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's worked out because he has he understands his role. He understands that he is in some ways sort of a glorified manager, and and he he doesn't pretend to be something he's not. And that has been 
Um, that that's the important thing, and that's why he yeah. meshes, and yeah. that's why he yeah. meshes with those guys, and you know why it it works the way it does. And listen, I mean, think about the coaches who have had their sons that they've been able to coach, Bayheim and McCaffrey, and you know a, a number of guys other than that have have coached their sons, and it's a special moment. I mean, you know, a, a friend of mine coaches basketball; he got to coach, he's getting to coach three of his kids. You know, yeah. and it's. You know that's that that's a special moment. It's something that, you know, it's at that college level, it's very very rare. And you know, but I, I listen. I, I thought that, you know, when especially when Stephen, the, the reaction of his teammates after that ball finally fell through, and then to have him going over to hug his dad before he shot the free throw, and then making the free throw after he hadn't made a free throw either in his career um you know that to me was a testament in a lot of ways to his dad because imagine if he missed that free throw i mean tom Izzo's known for making free throws right i mean that's a legendary story about him missing a free throw in high school and then shooting him over and over and over again so it was good to see not just the shot go in but then the free throw afterward so a moment people won't forget it takes the pressure off him he talked about that the relief um you know it's a moment that people had wanted it it happened it happened at home i think that's cool it yeah happened. yeah that it, is it, true it's, it's out of the way and and allows the season to sort of unfold uh, the greatest uh the greatest but he's certainly the most um beloved walk-on i would say of all time and now w- what's next for michigan state is is what i think is a really important and determining to stretch because they do need to put some wins together and you know minnesota is a game you know, obviously at home on Thursday night, they should win that game, and I think they will. The Maryland game, they need to get a road win, and that's you know if they. But if they can, if they can beat, you know, they obviously just beat uh, Rutgers. If they can then beat Minnesota and beat Maryland, and then have a full four day prep for Wisconsin on the road, and that's a game I think is fifty fifty. I like the matchup; they've done well at the Kohl Center. Um, but you're 12 and seven at that point, four and four in the Big Ten, heading into a game where if you beat Wisconsin, if you do go there and win, all of a sudden a lot of things are at play. Number one, that's a heck of a road win against a team that's going to be in the hunt for a Big Ten title. It's it's the sort of thing on a resume that's just going to continue to have the the, the metrics love you. Uh, but it also allows you to per- perhaps put together a stretch of games like beyond Wisconsin. Hold on, let me pull this up here. Apologies, should have it there. Um, beyond Wisconsin, then you get a, a, a Michigan. struggling Michigan Michigan yep. team. Then you get Maryland, who you're going to be better than at home again. Then you're at Minnesota; they ought to win that game. Then Illinois at home. Now that you know that's a game that you could lose, but a team at home, I think they should beat. And, and Minnesota is always a tough trip. You can't discount that just simply because of where things are i mean minnesota has for for some reason even when minnesota is bad playing at the barn is tough for msu but if you're dialed in you should win it and they should win yeah. at penn state the type of team penn state is then it's michigan and iowa's not that good this year ohio state at home like there there's a conceivable run for michigan state if they get past wisconsin and yeah. this this will be a test of focus because these guys you know you you do have to show up each and every game but there's a conceivable run all the way to West Lafayette on March 2nd, at, at which point, if, if you've only lost those four games and you're going to Purdue, which already has two Big Ten losses, um, you know, there, there is a, a, a chance by then you're, you're, you're still playing for a title. Who knows? But you're certainly at that point playing for a high seed. And that start to March is going to be important going into the postseason, yeah. even if it's just the Big Ten tournament or whatever beyond that, because you got – at Purdue, at home against Northwestern, who you already lost to handily, and then back on the road to Indiana. So that's, you know, two of your last three on the road in the state of Indiana is never an easy finish. And weekend games at Indiana, Sunday afternoon game, that crowd will be rocking, although people are really, you know, who knows what Indiana will be, but, but that's, yeah. you're right, it's a tough game. But there's a chance to get on a real run here. And and I think, you know, but to do that, you got to show you can win on the road. you got to prove it to yourself a little bit, because they haven't won a true road game. And so they got to do that against Maryland. And then, you know, you, you see against Wisconsin. And I look, the first time they played Wisconsin, I think the Malik Hall illness was uh, a real, real factor. Not only did A.J. Storr shoot better than he usually does, the, the, the wing, which, which, by the way, I love Wisconsin's roster construction and the addition to his team. Yeah. That's why they're that good. That's why they're unbeaten in Big Ten play. 
but he also shot above his usual level. But Malik Hall is we've seen what happens when he doesn't play well at Northwestern. Yeah. And the game against Wisconsin, he hadn't worked out with them in a week, so he was winded. He hadn't done any of the scouting stuff because he had yeah. the flu. So Izzo admitted afterward he kept him in for too long. Yeah, and he was sort of playing on instinct from previous matchups with Wisconsin, but none of yeah. the stuff he was and, – and he's also the guy who's supposed to be communicating things to MSU's other center, centers, and, and here's a guy who hadn't even practiced to do that. So it was sort of a disaster, a perfect storm in a lot of ways. I still – whatever reason, I, I I mean, I'll probably pick Michigan State to win that game. I just have a hunch. I have a feeling. I think they'll go into Madison and get it done. I think they're more likely – or to drop a game somewhere along the way that we we maybe don't expect or something. But when you look at the Big Ten this year, it is not as deep as it's been. There are a lot. There are games that are, uh, you know, maybe seven teams get in. I think there are four or five strong, really strong teams. It is not as deep as it's been in recent years. And, and no, really there's isn't. a chance. There's a chance to put a, put a run together. Yeah, I, I listen. That Wisconsin game an eight o'clock tip. On a Friday night in Madison is going to be wild. I think that's going to be that's a circle game. But I mean, playing at Maryland, I you know, always tough. And Michigan State always goes there, and it's an event as well. So another weekend game um, on on a Sunday. So listen, there's a lot of basketball left, but you know, it all comes down. And and you know, you talk about. I, I don't know how many times I've heard you say they need to analyze this, that, or the other thing. I was told recently that an- analytics are phony. So I'm going to go with the heart check on this team. I mean, the passion and, and energy with which they play um, and the focus with which they play are every bit as important as any of the analytics because this team can't coast. This is a team that's shown when it's at its best, it is playing with heart and energy. And you can't quantify that on a stat sheet. You can't quantify diving after loose balls. You can't quantify deflections. You can't quantify the the charge that Carson Cooper took um, and what that does for everybody around you. But you you can quantify rebounds. And I will say one of the things yes, you, you're you can. starting to see, like like they are they they've been a better rebounding team lately, and I think that's important because it's not been a great rebounding team, and that's an area that the great Izzo teams have had defense. Other than a couple games, have really been able to hang their hat on pretty well. Shooting's much improved. Yeah, listen, and it's not just it's not just the big guys, you know, because Cooper and and Sissoko I think combined for twelve boards and then throw in six more from Hall, but they got ten boards out of their starting guards between, yep. and and I think the key to improving their rebounding is getting Jaden Akins to, and we talk about the consistency of Malik Hall. There have been points in the last couple games where Jaden Akins is attacking the glass ferociously. My, it, again, one of those things that the numbers, he, oh, he only had four rebounds, how he got him, when he got him, how he pushed afterward. Those, to me, are things that aren't going to show up on a stat sheet that if you watch the game, you're saying, oh, where's this intensity and, and, and attacking more frequently? And you know, I think that helps. That helps everybody else if Jay Nakins continues to to ascend in that. And he doesn't have to grab all the rebounds, but he does need to be the one crashing off the wing to to get the boards for them and start that break. So it'll be an interesting interesting stretch coming up. Um, and uh, you know, it's about at this point they've you know you look at their schedule. They have played the the toughest stretch they'll, they'll play of Big Ten hoops. The fact that Nebraska wound up being really good, Wisconsin, you know, really good at Illinois. Um, you know, at Northwestern, these are all, you know, the, of the seven teams are going to be in the NCAA tur- uh, tournament or six other teams, I think that are going to be in the NCAA tournament besides Michigan state. They, they've played, um, a good chunk, what four of them already. So I, that is telling of their schedule and, and you don't know the way it's going to, I mean, nobody knows Nebraska is going to be good. You know, nobody knows Wisconsin's going to be this good. And, uh, you know, so th- there are things that are just, th- those are the breaks. And it's been such a weird year. I mean, I, was it last week? We saw, I think, all the top five teams at one point lost. So, I mean, yeah. it, it, it I, I, you know, Izzo's talked about this, and you see it around the country that, you know, I think some of it has to do with not just the transfer portal changing individual teams, but changing how teams are able to scout other teams and, you know, how much you got to really as a coaching staff and players completely reinvest 
in every team you scout, you can't just go relying on previous years. You got to be locked in more because you don't know half the personnel. Yeah, you don't, especially early, things change, you know? Yeah, er, early in the season, you have to do that, especially when before, before you really have a sense of it. But still, it's this time of the year, you, you can't be reliant, you know, maybe on Northwestern. You knew who Northwestern was because they had so many of the same guys back. But the other guys, the other teams have different personnel from a year ago that you haven't seen that, that and in a volume that isn't necessarily normal for just advanced scouting. You got to basically, it's a lot for coaching staffs. A lot of times, even if a coach is running similar stuff, the personnel is just so radically different on a lot of rosters that. You know, you got to reinvest sometimes in how much time you're spending on film. Let's wrap with a little football talk because we have not talked since Michigan won a national championship, which um, for a lot of Michigan State fans and a lot of podcast listeners is a dark day, dark times. And, um, you know, I, I do want to say, though, like that, that Michigan won a national title to me is – I should – not I want to say heartening for Michigan State fans, but that a team like Michigan won it, that they played a team like Washington should be heartening if you strip, strip away the brand, so to speak, because I, I do think that who Michigan is right now is not very different from who Michigan State was as a team 10 years ago. And that, you know, the Michigan State as a program may never be what Pete Clemson or LSU or Alabama have been in their very best years, but it shows it's you know especially now with the transfer portal and and the, the, I think there's a little going to be a little more parity and the 12 team playoff will change things even more. Yes, it will. That you know you can win a national title at Michigan State. We always knew that because the Rose Bowl team could have if the playoff existed. I think the 2014 team. If JT Barrett doesn't have, I mean, they faced a, a great day for Marcus Mariota, and then JT Barrett, uh, you know, playing like the best of John Elway at, at Spartan Stadium in November, it, it, and it was never that good again, or, or rarely, if he, if he, if ever, it, that fourteen team was capable. So we knew that, and people who watch Michigan State knew that. But I think collectively at large, the college football community maybe you know questioned that, and and certainly the further you get away from it. There's some doubt, but I just think that the way that happened, if 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 you're Jonathan Smith or if you're a Michigan State fan or you're in the administration, you know you're capable of that because you can. Michigan and Washington did not have the most talented uh, recruiting classes. They had great cultures. They had successful NIL programs that got kids to stick around to uh, to try to win a national title. So that's important. At the moment, it's important. That could change at any point. Yeah, let's face it. I mean, we sure the NIL stuff is so um, all over the place, and the NCAA is throwing out new regulations and trying to bring things under a little more control. And nobody really knows where this is going to end up. Well, the good news for Michigan State is is we'll see what you know with its own NIL. There's some stuff happening there, but like um, I, I I think with Overall, as an athletic department, Michigan State is a have. And the Absolutely. Have and have not world. Absolutely. And, and that, that is something you can, you know, it, it, it is so much worse to be a, an Arizona fan today or, Oof. you know, a fan of a fan of a lot of other places. And, and I think college football and college sports are in trouble because of yeah. that because you need those fan bases to care and have the dream alive. Arizona's financial standpoint is a mess. Yeah. That situation is going to be difficult to try and lure another high high level coach you may need to go a younger up and coming route maybe a strike gold maybe you don't but but their their athletic department budget is in 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 tatters at this point in trouble um and uh, so but that's and that's and that's a tough timing to lose a coach that you thought was building that program but i mean this is the way of everything right now i mean you see all, i mean Everything is about dominoes falling right now in college football, whether it be realignment, whether it be the transfer portal. One guy leaves a school, goes to another school, then someone else transfers out of that school to somewhere else. Um, coaches, you've seen that, the dominoes with Nick Saban retiring, which we haven't even gotten to either. Um, you know, obviously 
a massive story in college football. And then the dominoes fall after that with Kalen DeBoer leaving a team he led to a national championship in two years. Short-timers. I mean, it's short-timers, and the players then are the dominoes that move with them. I mean, it is, it, it, it's head-spinning at times because we're not talking about pro sports where you got 30 teams. We're talking about Division One, Power 5, and, and beyond college sports where there's 130 teams. And trying to track some of that stuff is m- mind-blowing with 100-player rosters. Well, but and the other thing is with with DeBoer and Saban, and you know, obviously Saban, you know, there's a lot of interest in kind of the great what if at Michigan State, which was helped by Mark D'Antonio's existence that took away some of the the what ifs if, if Saban had stuck yeah. around. Cause you, but but the the timing of everything because that happens later because it's after the playoff. You know, Washington's semester has started. Uh, a year from now, when the playoff, until they get the calendar right in college football, and it will eventually. I mean, I think within a couple of years, the season will start a, a month, or uh, sorry, a week earlier. You won't finish on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, you know, everything will end about when it does now. But next year, the national championship game is January 20th. So if you think about that and the lack of ability to move for those students and uh, those players after that point, just because you're already, I mean, this is still tied to college to some degree. <laughs> you got to be in class. You can't. I, it, it, is it? Is it though? Is it? It is. It should be. It, it should be. It better um, be because that's but, the only but reason listen, people care. But the, if they, if it was, then semesters would matter, and the seasons would finish up within the academic calendar. Yeah, but they don't in hockey, or they don't. They that's don't. always been my. No, you know, they they don't. They don't, they don't. You know, they don't. But those those athletes, when their seasons are done, stay through to the end of that semester. That's true. This is this is one where the semester begins. The, the, there's, you know, all the think about it. Which other sports uh, from the fall semester carry over? I want to ask you a couple different coaching things. Your sense, Jim Harbaugh, does he – I know he's interviewed with the Chargers at this point. Does he stay or go in your your, your best guess? I think he goes. I, I think he goes. I think I think, I think. think the J.J. McCarthy situation of leaving and go, turning pro to me – although I did see Donovan Edwards is probably going to come back or so, but I, I, think, I think I'd put about an 85% chance that Harbaugh goes. Kalen DeBoer, five years from now, is he the coach still at Alabama and has it been a success? I, I have a unique understanding of where Kalen came from, having been in Sioux Falls when he started his coaching career and as, as an offensive coordinator at his alma mater. Uh, this is after his playing days. Uh, had ended both football and baseball. Sometime I'll tell you the story about baseball, but um, he took over for a legend at his alma mater who won a national title and won a couple national titles with Kalen on the staff and continued and built that success upon it. He, he has an understanding of how to replace a legend at a much, much lower level, much like he had an understanding of how to win at a lower level. Um, can it translate to replace the best coach in college football history is a tough one, especially at a place like listen, the University of Sioux Falls. God bless the coup, uh, but that's not the Alabama fan base. That's that's as far from the Alabama fan base as you can get, and they they get antsy fast. Um, and they've run many coaches out before this run with Nick Saban, and trying to satiate them to keep them change their their opinion of what they should get and be um, is going to be difficult. And it's, it's a different area for Kalen. But I do think that when it comes to coaching chops, I mean, if he get if he's able to sustain a good chunk of the recruiting that Nick Saban built and, and the brand that Alabama built from an X's and O's standpoint, I, I think he can do that. I think he can keep them atop. A yeah, and I, I like coaches who've won everywhere like him. I just think guys have a lot of confidence. You have to have a lot of confidence for playing Nick State. He knows what he he knows how to build a program. He knows what works everywhere. Um, and for a guy who began where he did to wind up at Alabama before he was fifty years old, I think is, is pretty dang cool. Um, 
it is a reminder. I mean, he was at Eastern Michigan like five years ago. He was yeah. at Fresno. You know, I mean, it just is an offensive coordinator before he's the head coach, and then in the, I mean, like it's a reminder to all these ads out there. That, and I'm not saying he hasn't grown as a coach since then, but you know. Kalen DeBoer may be who Alabama gets today, but anybody could have had Kalen DeBoer four years ago. And so, you know, this idea, search committees can't find this. You want to know a story? Want a story about him? Both the University of North Dakota and University of South Dakota passed on him. I mean, when he was at the University of Sioux Falls, and he had to go take a coordinator job at, I think, Southern Illinois to build his resume to get where he's at. Yep, and he got he got bypassed by two schools that were right there, and now he's the head coach at Alabama. Yeah, I mean, if, if I were an AD, I would have uh, I would have somebody who was, you know, I'd have a department if I could afford it <laughs> within my department that just spent all the time scouting because you never know when it different you know volleyball, basketball, whatever it might be. I'd have people scouting young coaches in all the different sports so that you were ready. To make hires that were, you know, a little more. You're playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers, so to speak. But that's, uh, yeah, that's my own anti. You know, it's it's pretty easy to say, I want, uh, I want the best best coach available. No, no, no doubt. I don't watch my language here, but anyway. Yeah. I, Listen, uh, the guys that sometimes the guys that can win with less, when they get more, can win more. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, um, we uh, it is good to be back. We will come back next week. After uh, and, and I think we'll have Nate Bot on and talk some hockey as well because uh, it's time. I mean, MSU hockey is 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 surging, and I think there there are calls for that. And, and certainly we're we're gonna up our coverage. And well, we have we have been, but yeah, you know, the fact that I'm I'm sticking around this weekend rather than going to a men's basketball trip is yep. is has, telling of has where things nothing are. to do with that Lions game. You know. <laughs> I, I, if the Lions were not playing, would it be a different calculus? Um, you know, maybe maybe a little bit, um, maybe a, a, a small bit. But anyway, we'll have complete coverage of that, and um, and and of course the men's basketball game uh, as well uh, at uh, at lsj.com, freep.com, and greenandwhite.com. We appreciate you listening. Please rate, subscribe, uh, throw fruit, whatever you would like to do, and. Uh, we will be uh, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.